Hi, I'm Michael. And I'm John. And we are... Brothers on a Tangent. Two brothers from Utah that decided to start a podcast together. And apparently, we've been doing it all wrong. So today, we have our mother on board. Hi. Would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? I'm Janelle. I am Michael and John's mother. And I believe that I am responsible for their tangents because I am a queen of going off subject. Yeah, that's true. So, we're all fucked up in the head. Let's talk about that, shall we? I thought you were going to do a recap. Um, I know, I'm making a joke. So yeah, I guess we should have a little bit of a trigger warning today. Today's episode will be dealing with mental health and the negative side effects of that in our daily lives. So... If you're not interested in that or you don't really want to experience that, uh, feel free to go ahead and tune in next time. The triggers are for suicide, self-harm, dealing with a parent or family member who has has mental health struggles. struggles. So yeah, it's going to be a pretty serious episode, but don't worry because we all suffer from dealing with these things with humor. So... Yeah, we make terrible jokes to break the tension. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. Okay. My girlfriend hates it. Woo! <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, yeah, John has a girlfriend now. Would you like to talk about that for a moment? I have a girlfriend. He's going great. Excellent. Thanks for sharing, John. Now we'll actually jump into the recap. I do have a couple of things that I definitely want to cover. First of all, sorry that we messed up the last episode that was supposed to come out on January 1st. An unfortunate settings error on my computer caused the entire episode's audio to sound like garbage. Sound like 2020. The editor sent it off to the producers to make an executive decision to unfortunately trash that episode. So the hosts, unfortunately, have to figure something out to re-record that first episode. Aren't you guys the editors and producers? Yes. Yes. We're all of them. (laughs) Oh, we, do, okay. we do everything. I mean, we you're, do just, everything. You're, just, you're just trying to sound a little more important here. Like, yeah, we're, you know? we're, yeah, that's right. Like I said, I can put podcast producer on my resume now. Which is awesome. It's fantastic. I'm very excited about it. Okay. Next thing I wanted to cover, which would have been in the recap for my last one, or for our last episode, but I'm going to go ahead and touch on it now. I wanted to talk a little bit about our analytics. One of our listeners is using a VPN, and it's really fucking with my analytics. I noticed it after we released the first and second episode, and suddenly we had a listener from Ireland, and I was very intrigued. I was like, oh, whoa, whoa, we're already international. And then a couple episodes later, I noticed that we had a listener from Germany, and that's when it clicked that actually somebody's using a VPN. And if you are actually a listener in Germany, guten tag. Oh, God. You're making the same joke. I'm making the same fucking joke. No one heard it last time. If you are a listener from Germany, please feel free to email us and let us know. Or if you happen to be traveling Europe, I guess. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. Let us know. Yeah, email us. Let us know. We'll be sure to give you a shout out. Oh, the other thing I wanted to talk about in our analytics. One of you guys listened to us on Christmas Day. So thanks for that. That was was a pleasant surprise. I was just going through looking at our uh, listening rates and noticed that someone decided that listening to us was more exciting than hanging out with their family. So thank you for that. If that was you, contact us. We'll give you a shout out or not if you don't want your family to find out. You're welcome. My family's boring. I'm joking. Oh, it was you? No, it was oh, not me. Oh, man. I was about to punch you. <laughs> okay, cool. Anything else for the recap, John? 
I mean, I could go into more detail about my girlfriend, but I don't know if this is the right episode to do that on. So. Oh, yeah. Actually, that's a good point. I will discuss my girlfriend in another episode. Cool, cool. Mom looks forward Sorry. to hearing about it. <laughs> okay, cool. Do we want to go ahead and jump into it? Or is there anything else? Did you want to add anything to the recap, Mom? I came originally to defend my honor and then realized that I'm just so super fucking proud of you boys that I understand that your view and my view of your childhood and growing up are just very different and that's okay. That's okay because I was I was growing up with you guys and I had no clue what I was doing most days and uh, <laughs> and I just know I did my best and I, I love you guys. I'm super freaking proud of you and I, I hope that uh, I hope that I've, I've helped build your character with all those great. <laughs> well, thanks, to, Mom. Shout out to all the parents who were kids themselves when they had kids, which is everyone. Everyone's still a kid, deep inside. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I'm going to pause for just a moment. So this is going to make for some interesting editing because we're about to have a different conversation than what we were just talking about. That's true. Mom asked the question while we had our recording paused, if John edits all the episodes now or if we switch off still. And the answer is that we, we still switch off. So far, Michael has done every odd-numbered episode. John has done every even episode. I can tell a difference. even better than his. Oh, oh <laughs> you were making a face, and I was waiting for you to interject with something. I was like, am I forgetting something? But no, he just wanted to make a dumb joke. I was saying that I can tell a difference between the first and the second episodes. Mm-hmm. But after that, it has been pretty good, I think, either way. But... I don't maybe necessarily have the most keen ear for it either. Yeah. Um, it's not like... I'm... I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but when Michael sent me the first final draft for the first episode, he was all <laughs> like, he's like, I'm ready to drop this. And I didn't want to tell him that my editing was better than his and maybe you should wait to listen to my editing and reconsider. So I didn't. Well, and then he heard mine and went, oh, I see why you wanted me to wait. Well, okay, so here's the thing is when John said it that said that maybe I should wait to listen to his first, I kind of thought it was him being We have this family joke that John always says I, I could have told, told you that. that. John yep. knows it all. Yep. And so there are times when John's like, hmm, well, uh and gives us this look like, you poor, poor, pitiful soul, you do not understand. And most of the time, he's right, but we can't always let him think that because then his ego will be... <laughs> right, right. It's okay. That's where the depression comes in and kicks my ass. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Talk about a segue, John. Yeah. Yeah, so do we want to go ahead and jump into the uh, mental health issues that we're all experiencing? Having Jess. Oh, did you want me to start? I, I thought you just said having Jess, and I was That's like, That's what I oh, thought, too. Mom. I was like, what? I was wow. Like, wow, that was a little, ooh. Heavens, yes, is what ooh. I said. I mean, Please we, edit that correctly. We, we make fun of her a lot on this podcast, but wow, Mom. <laughs> you just come in swinging. <laughs> I had mental issues long before Jess. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to start? Well, I can start by saying that I uh, have battled with depression and anxiety for my entire life, I would say. Some of it, you know, is trauma-induced, I would say, or more along the lines of it definitely enhanced the chemical imbalances that I have battled with my entire life. So, unfortunately, that meant that raising four kids, they saw 
it a lot. They saw me breaking down a lot. I definitely would try to hide it at times and try to find ways around it, find ways to cope, find ways to, to hide it for sure. But unfortunately, you know, the kids definitely saw a lot of it. And so, you know, I'd love to hear some of your experiences. And I don't know, I'm hoping maybe to share some of mine and how, how over the years I've found ways to cope or deal. I have the big sad. I struggle with depression pretty regularly, although I hesitate to call it depression because I've never been actually officially diagnosed, but I definitely go through periods of heavy apathy. I do not care about anything. It's incredibly difficult to motivate myself to do anything, even the things I enjoy, all sorts of stuff. I don't think I have anxiety, though. I'm pretty good at uh, controlling, I don't know, expectation, I guess. It isn't so much about expectation. It's waking up first thing in the morning and feeling this sinking feeling that there is something wrong. You don't know what it is and you feel very nervous about it. And then you're nervous because you don't know what it is. Oh yeah. I don't have that at all. Constant back and forth. Your heart might be racing a little bit. You just feel this gnawing in the pit of your stomach. There's something wrong. What is it? I don't know what it is. I'm kind of panicked. Should I should know. Don't I know what it is? I should know what it is. Maybe it's because the kids aren't awake. Maybe it's because the, you know, you're just, it's constantly going in your mind. But at the same time, yeah, exactly. But at the same time, you're also with the depression side going, I have no motivation to figure out what it is. I really don't care what it is. I don't want to know what it is. I'm going to lay here and just wallow in it. And it really sucks (laughs) because it's a constant back and forth for sure. Yeah. That sounds like hell. Oh yeah. Um, So, yeah, I don't struggle with anxiety, but I do have the big sad. What about you, John? Would you like to share with the group? Hi, I have the big sad, the anxiety, and was diagnosed with ADHD inattentive. Whatever the hell that means. Whether it's the new name for ADD or whatnot. Wait, attentive? Intentive. Intentive? Inattentive. Inattentive. Okay, let me explain. After going through a psychologist with John. Yes. She did a bunch of testing to find out, you know, if he's, what kind of mental issues he may have, including, but not limited to, you know, finding out if he's on the autism spectrum, if he's um, got any kind of, you know, developmental disabilities, things like that. And what she came back with is ADHD inattentive. Now there's a difference. ADHD is broken into two different categories. Attentive, those are the ones you most hear about. Those are the kids that typically they will put on Ritalin or something along those lines to help control their hyperactivity. Diet meth. Exactly. Di- diet meth? Yeah, it's just basically it's not methamphetamines, but it is kind of like the cousin of it that they oh. put you on. Okay, so it's just like a similar chemical or? Yes. It's a stimulant. It's a stimulant. Oh, okay, okay. I've actually heard that... Uh, Kids who are hyperactive, if you give them coffee, if they have ADHD and you give them coffee, it will actually mellow them out. So or I give had, them caffeine. I knew a couple people in high school that had to take caffeine pills yeah. for that, yeah. uh, for, for something like that, because I guess forcing them into a higher high would put them into a low or something like that. Well, I, I don't think it's so much as like mellows them out, but helps them to focus. It gives you better mental focus. Okay, that makes sense. So the difference with ADHD and what they would call ADD is the inattentive part. So inattentive means that he's easily distracted. Okay. Do you remember as a child, 
if there was a television on, you could not get John's attention. As a, Mom as a child or could, just... Okay, even now. <laughs> but um, Yeah, shout out shout out to my poor girlfriend who sometimes I'll have the TV on and like I'll get sucked into it and she's like, you, you aren't paying attention to me anymore. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm bad at this. Yeah, You're just going to bring up your girlfriend as much as you can, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> I support this. I cherish her. She's fantastic. <laughs> Bombs could be exploding behind John's head, behind the TV even, mm-hmm. and he would not notice because he's tuned in, which to me can be a great asset as well because he is able as, to have, <laughs> have hyper focus. I what have this right. power called hyper focusing. Pretty great. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But it also means that he can become a bit obsessive about things, I guess maybe is the best way to put it. He will hone in on a subject and that is all he can focus on until he gets what he needs out of it which is awesome for my marvel movie experiences (laughs) (laughs) but it can also cause him to not interact with society and with the rest of the world everything else kind of suffers because of it in in the same way that most of us would so the psychologist had given us an example where you've got a classroom full of fifth graders, we'll uh-huh. say, fourth, fifth grade. And you know how they would jump from one subject to another. So they, right. would do, they would do a math test, and they'd be going over math. And he's filling out his math homework. And she says, okay, time to put that away and pull out your spelling. We're going to do our spelling test now. Mm-hmm. See, that's just a terrible transition for me already because I'm fantastic at math and suck at English. So <laughs> anyway, right. continue the example. So... While all the other kids will put away their math, pull out their pen, paper, and she starts with the first word and goes with the second word. Kids with ADHD and attentive, such as John, will put away his math, put away his pencil, grab his other pencil, grab his piece of paper, close his desk, get set up, and they're already on the third word. Because John is more focused on getting everything perfected. Once the viewers again. can't see my face, but it's like thinking back of all the times that I've I've had that happen to me. <laughs> now, I even had, and I wouldn't say that Michael has this same thing, but I think a perfection thing may be something that kind of runs through us a bit. But yeah. I can remember in fourth grade, you had a teacher oh. that <laughs> would say... Michael is so slow. He falls behind everybody else. He takes forever to get things done. It's so frustrating. Right. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. She and I did not get along. No. Which is funny because I was, me and her got along really well when I had her in sixth grade. Oh, weird. Turns out she didn't like Jessica either, but you know, anyway. (laughs) So. (laughs) Just gloss over that, I guess. Right. Well, I I think she and I didn't get along after Mm, that. Mm-hmm. Because sense. then the very next year, you had, in fifth grade, another teacher who was fabulous. I love her. Yeah, she was great. She's probably dead now. First parent-teacher she conference. She was really old. <laughs> well, she wasn't just really old. She had cancer, too. Yeah, with... yeah, that's true. She was in remission by the end of the year, though. That's true. That's true. That's I think a good she, question. I think, she, I think she was still teaching while I was there. She was. She was AJ's fifth grade teacher as well. Yeah, 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 you're right. She was. Anyways, sorry. Let me just bring tangents. that up. Yeah, tangents. tangents. No, that's that's a good question. We should we should look that up. I'm trying to remember her first name. But anyway. What did this teacher say about me, mother? So this teacher in the very first parent teacher conference says to me, 
I love how Michael takes his time to get everything done just right. He makes sure everything is done right the first time rather than hurry through it and have to go back and redo it mm-hmm. and not because he was not happy with how it turned out. He doesn't have to do a lot of editing. He doesn't have to do a lot of rework because he does it right the first time. For the record, I do have to do a lot of editing. <laughs> That's true. But I mean, in fifth grade, writing little right, right. stories and stuff like that. Yeah. So that to me just said, it's all about who's teaching your child. It's not necessarily, you know, how your child is performing. Right. On the subject of fourth grade teachers that didn't like how slow their students were, I had a fourth grade teacher that damaged me. <laughs> I am hurt. It was not good. Would, would you like to go into more detail than that? So along the lines of being meticulous and taking your time, one thing I've always struggled with is writing, and I, and I like to take my time when I write. She did not like this. She did not like me. I don't know why. I'm still confused about it because I was just a little innocent kid. Mm-hmm. That was the first and probably only time I went in and I fought and said, I want my son in a different class. He needs a different teacher. I've always been the type of person to sit back and take what's thrown at me. And, you know, looking back, I feel bad, especially... Not, not when it comes to your kids, though. Well, especially since we didn't have John diagnosed until he was 17 right. and battling with depression. Right. Then I look back over all his years growing up, and I, I do wish I had fought for him more and fought more for his education instead of sitting there and, just as any parent does, second-guessing everything I did. Am I not punishing him enough or am I not disciplining him the right way? Am I not doing this right? Am I not doing that right? You know, you sit there and you question it and question it and Mm -hmm. question it. Mm -hmm. And then when you become a grandparent, you can pretend like you knew it all and you did it all right. (laughs) And you can tell your kids how they're (laughs) But in all honesty, we're still just trying to figure it out. (laughs) My biggest question is is the blood sugar tests. What was with those? I'm I'm still not sure why you did those. Because of some of your health issues. You've mentioned before how you think, you know, some of your health issues may have been from me having AJ and then having you so quickly after. Yeah, that's, right. that's a traumatic experience on the body is having a baby like AJ. That's true. That's true. And I wouldn't mind telling you guys that story of how that all came about. But anyway, Anyways. not the ins and outs. <laughs> Just the fact that we knew John was coming pretty dang quick after we had AJ. But uh, it was trying to, you know, figure out your your health. You had problems with milk. You know, you, you had health problems that none of the other kids seemed to struggle with. You had problems with milk. You had hearing problems. You had your weight problems, you know, where it just really fluctuated. You were a very skinny, skinny, skinny kid. And then all of a Can sudden a you shot straight up and got really, really tall. But you also filled out quite a bit and became, you know, thicker. Can I tell a story real quick? Of course. So when I was in sixth grade, I was part of the program to help kindergartners learn how to read, right? Ah, I remember. Now, I don't think John was one of those kids, but he he was in that class, right? And one of the other sixth graders, her name was Kaylee, I think. Anyways, she came to me one day after we had helped the, the kindergartners with their reading lessons. And she was like, is your little brother John... And I was like, yeah, why? Well, he approached me asking if I had some string he could use as a belt. (laughs) Because John's pants never fit right. 
especially uh-huh. as a little kid. He was always like super skinny around the waist. So yeah, I guess that day he was looking for a piece of string to use as a belt because his pants wouldn't fit. And I still remember that story. Showing up in potato sacks to school. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite that bad, but... But I was the third of three boys, and so naturally I got all the hand-me-downs. And uh, the difference between me and my brothers is uh, I was super skinny and had no ass. That's okay. Well, you were tall, but thin. So finding pants that were long enough to fit your legs, but then fit around your waist as well. I was so excited when they came out with those elastic bands inside oh, the, the jeans. Oh, the elastic that, waistband? Yeah, that you can like pull that tighter. you can pull tighter? And button it to that keep is, it. That is one memory <laughs> I have. All my jeans have that. And I, 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 I would play with them sometimes. And just, like I had so much fun of those because I'd be all like, man, these pants don't fit. Whoop! Yeah. Button it up, tuck in the excess in there, I'm good to go. Pants to fit. Yeah, those those were awesome when we discovered those. Because mm-hmm. John definitely needed it. It was finding pants that were long enough for his legs. And, and so you say, yes, you did get a lot of hand-me-downs, but rarely was it pants. Because for some reason, every time you put a pair of pants on a little boy, the knees blow out. Boom. No knees. In, like, in all fairness, John, I was going to say this earlier. I got a lot of hand-me-downs, too, from, like, cousins and stuff. Yeah, I got those, too. I, I remember bags from, from Spencer, actually. Yeah. I got a lot of hand-me-downs from Spencer. The famous bags. I remember the bags. <laughs> they were always I remember, fun. They were, they were always so much fun because, like, the bags would show up. You would open it up, and it would be it would be a fight over who got what. It was a free-for-all. Yeah, exactly. that's for sure. Well, because Michael kind of hit... I don't know, a plateau, I guess, with his height growth. And AJ kept going. But uh, John, you know, was right from the time John was probably about a year old and AJ was two. They were neck and neck on Mm. height. And then all of a sudden, AJ, you know, kind of plateaued a little bit. And John just kept going and got taller. I actually blame dad's side for that. Um, cause if you look at him and all of his brothers, that's true. The, the oldest is like super short and then Tom, the youngest is super tall yeah, and, and it's kind of like you can line them up and tell who's the oldest by, by the shortest, by you know, yeah. it's a, so I blame dad's dad's side for that, that, uh, I'm shorter than all of my younger siblings, including <laughs> Jessica. Now she's taller than me. Now we checked at Christmas. She is. So while we're on the subject of, of height and whatnot, can you imagine how much taller I'd be if I hadn't had my growth stunted by the car? Well, and even then it was... Even then I was pretty tall. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're still pretty tall. I'm still tall. But can you imagine how much taller I could be? <laughs> well, if it's just the one side that got broken, though, wouldn't you think it would just be the one side that is stunted and you'd just be lopsided? I am lopsided. I, okay, so this you, goes you, on to if you another... Look, if you look at how I stand, you'll notice that I'm lopsided. Another subject and uh, tangent. Go ahead. How John is the middle child. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. And mother I, I was seems say, to overlook him all too often. I was going to say, I, I think as a, a slight defense mechanism, we're avoiding the subject of mental health. But <laughs> no, this is a good segue back into it. John, uh, how do you feel about being the middle child? A lot of deep-rooted issues there. Hard to dig up. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to go back to it a little bit to say that with John's hyper-focus and ADHD and attentive and not understanding the way we think is different, 
Mm -hmm. John, you can say something one time and it sticks. Not always. Yeah. We, he does have his, his memory issues that he's mentioned. And I think that has to go along with what he's paying attention to at the time it happens. But with his hyperfocus, he then thinks he can say something to me one time and I'm going to remember it and it's going to stick. And then he's frustrated later. Well, mom doesn't remember me. Mom doesn't remember that. <laughs> and I do feel I do feel bad for it. Yes, I want to think that I'm, you know, paying attention to each and every one of my children. But John was always kind of quiet. Um, you've got AJ, who is, you know, very... I don't the know, golden just, child? Uh, yeah, I, I guess you could say the golden child. But I was thinking more <laughs> along the lines of he, he was just very performance savvy. You know? Right. He right. made sure he was noticed. He and was then always in the spotlight. Yeah, in the spotlight. There you go. Yep. Jessica was, has always been the youngest child and literally will scream to get her way. Then there's John in the middle who's just trying to keep the peace mm -hmm. and always stayed kind of quiet. And so, yeah, there were times that John got overlooked. I do harbor a lot of guilt for that. But John's also been the one who's been very steadfast. And always been there. He's the one who's always been there. It's like the... I'm going to go to a, a biblical story here. The prodigal son. Where you've got two sons. One who's hardworking, steadfast, and sticks around. And does everything he's supposed to. And the other son who takes his father's wealth. Takes off. Goes and blows all of his inheritance. And when he comes back, the dad throws his huge feast. And celebration. My son has returned. My son is here. Well, now the elder son, who has been there and steadfast and working the entire time, feels jilted right. because he's right. not noticed. Sadly, I'm you know trying to remember exactly how the father put it, but basically it was you know you've you've worked hard and you've been here for me from day one. You've always stuck by my side, and don't think that that has not gone gone unnoticed. Hmm. So yeah, going back to mental health issues and family trauma, I guess you could say, you know, that, yeah, there's probably some, some deep rooted stuff that, that John and I need to work through when it comes to him being quote unquote middle child and forgotten. I don't think I've ever actually heard that story, to be honest with you. The prodigal son? The prodigal yeah. son. Yeah. But I mean, I also don't know that much about Christian theology, so. Yeah. That's cool. It's one of the parables that Jesus told when he was teaching. Oh yeah. I never read the New Testament. Yeah. I, I okay, that's not true. I I read the parts about Jesus's birth around Christmas time because we did that a few times. We did. But yeah, I don't know that much about the New Testament. I know that Jesus cried that one time. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. That's right. Jesus wept. That's the whole verse. I remember you <laughs> yes. pointing that out to me. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Yes, Jesus, Jesus wept. wept. <laughs> Anyways, total right. tangent. Um, total tangent. So back to John's. Total tangent. Let's just dissect John this episode, I guess. I'm probably the one who uh, who has the most drawbacks, I guess you could call. Oh, them. it's okay. I don't know. I've I've got one. I've got one that I want to talk about. No, with I don't. Mom. I don't say drawbacks. Let me. I want to put something in there that, as I've studied more about mental health and things like that, what's considered a healthy mind is not necessarily. Maybe it's because it's the norm, but some of the most genius people were quote unquote mentally ill because their minds were different and thought differently. Mm -hmm. There's a bit of insanity with the genius. And I think it's just all about understanding it rather so much 
controlling it. Right. Well, I, and I mean, like, that, that crosses over into the uh, capitalist world as well, where th- there's a study or something that basically says that the most successful, like, CEOs and, and businessmen are narcissists, and they're super controlling and almost, um, I, I think it was, I, I lost my word, the word I was looking for. But, but yeah, they have those, those uh, tendencies that aren't healthy, Mm-hmm. but they allow them to succeed and excel in, in their careers. Exactly. You know, just uh, just interesting how different brains work and it can be really good for one thing and really bad for another thing. Exactly. I think that's exactly what it is. We all try to conform to this box and not everybody thinks that way. Not right. everybody conforms right. to that. And I think that's one reason why it was important that once we did have John diagnosed and realized how he learns and how his mind functions that we had to completely change his schooling i thought it was important for him to figure it out uh kind of on his own and go at his own pace at finishing school and he did he did finish you know got his ged and the ged is accepted just as well as any high school diploma not only that but i don't know if i mentioned this but i did um so with the ged test they're now doing this thing that if you score a certain percentage or a certain number or whatnot, you actually earn college credit along with it. And I actually have college credit because of the GED. That's awesome. I had no idea. I think you mentioned it in a previous episode, but like when, when we talked about me maybe not graduating. Pretty sure you did. I'm pretty sure he mentioned it there, yeah. but uh, it's not important. Yeah. Did you, did you ever get my message about you graduating and what was decided there? Yeah, we got your email. I don't think we ever brought it up. Let me pull it up real quick. Uh, If I remember correctly, the basic gist of the email was you going into more detail about the different program that I had to go through, but also not knowing if I graduated through it or not. Well, you got what was called a district diploma rather than a diploma from the actual high school. I did not graduate from Lehigh High School. I graduated from Alpine School District. Correct. um, if, If I graduated. The school district was 24 credits. The high school was 27 or 28. 28. Yeah. Which is why I had to have a full schedule my senior year, even though I had completed enough credits to get that one. I had to have a full schedule in order to still graduate through the this this other program. Well, this other program, I'm pretty sure it was within the last semester that we decided we were just going for the district diploma because we're like, Michael's just not going to... Just not gonna do it. Just not gonna make it. We've tried packets. We've tried everything. You oh know? my goodness! I it was it was that one class. To be honest, financial literacy. I hated it so much. And How's I, that working out for you now? Um. Ah, <laughs> oh, geez, I'm broke. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not one to talk either. So I, I get it. I'm no, just, no. I, just I mean, it's fine. Like I I feel like I make fairly smart choices with my money there's just never enough of it to go around you know of course between all the bills and everything anyways um feel free to support our podcast send <laughs> send us money this is where you put your <laughs> ad in oh yeah um i did forget the ad at the beginning even though i talked about it before we started recording it's fine i'll do the ad at the end that's how i've been doing it yeah so with the choice of me taking over my own schooling didn't you try to work through the high school first to see if they could get me some something to help me along with my learning yes and they said 
And they and they basically went, well, he's in his junior year. He's done it this long. Exactly. Yes, I did. And I was extremely frustrated because... Look back at my grades. Look back at how I've been doing in I school. Saying, I, I and you'll like, notice it's not working for me. I feel like that's a dumb mindset, too, because burnout is a thing. You know, right. after 12 straight years of school, like, senioritis, there's a, there's a term for it, a, a colloquial term, but... A term nonetheless, senioritis, because seniors don't want to be there anymore. It's it's burnout is what it is. And so I feel like that particular mindset is, is even more harmful, you know? Yeah. Along the lines of junior year, the summer before junior year is when we went to an actual psychologist who, yes. who diagnosed me and I have an official diagnosis now. Psychopath. That's the word I was looking for. A lot of CEOs and, and big, uh, big name businessmen show psychopathic tendencies. Yes. Sorry. Okay. You said and psych- yeah, psychologist yeah. and it clicked. It clicked. Yeah. Thank you. So the reason that I was taken to a psychologist and got all of this stems back to mental health, mental illness, mm-hmm. because the reason that we went out and got that diagnosis for thing was because earlier in that year, I ended up in an institution because I had made poor choices and was going down a path that would have led to my death in one of many different ways that could have happened. So here's my side of what happened here. I uh, wasn't aware until much later about John's sophomore year and (laughs) all of his antics. No idea. He did a really good job of keeping it covered. And he had become a supervisor at his work at his summer job. Sorry, I just want to interject real quick. That's a good thing about, you know, being forgettable and a middle child and <laughs> able to fade in the background. Is like when you when you start to like do stuff, you know how to get away with it because you're good at fading in the background. <laughs> so it's all like, oh, why'd you miss school? Oh, they must have marked me absent or whatnot. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah. And then that's the last you have to you have to defend yourself about it until your girlfriend tries to call the school to excuse you, and your mother calls you and goes, "They know my voice. Who the hell called to excuse you?" <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting day. So John was working his summer job, and I get a call from security at his summer job that says, "We have John down here. One of his coworkers found him in the back room with a knife tracing along his veins in his arm." And they tried to get his attention and could not. He would not look at them. He would not speak to them. He just sat there and trailed the knife. Mm-hmm. So we've got him down here in our health station. We want to know what, what you want to do. And I said, on my way. I, I just want to clarify real quick. You're okay with us going into this much detail, right, John? Yes. Um, okay. I can, I, I can continue to go into detail <clears throat> about my experiences as a supervisor and what drove me to get to that point. Right. While at work, because the thing about me is I've never been vocal or open. We're about to get real vulnerable up in this bitch. Well, oh, yeah. I've never really shown the issues that I have. It was easier to right. fade in the background. Right. I do remember one instance after being institutionalized, bringing that up, that we'll bring up in a moment. Anyway, continue. Well, I've definitely learned that having some of these mental issues that we have, these mental health issues, it is hard to reach out and ask for help because one there's the stigma you know people oh there's something wrong with them you know look down on you a lot of people who have not dealt with these demons themselves do not understand why we're being this way 
why we're acting a certain way. Why, why can't you just snap out of it? Why can't you just look on the bright side? Why can't you just realize there's nothing you can do about your anxiety right now? You know, they, right. they don't always right. understand that. And so there's that stigma and we don't want to feel judged. Then there's also the demon in your head telling you, you're not worth asking for it. You're not worth it. So I want to throw out there real quick, just a plug for the suicide hotline for those who may be struggling at times. It is easier to reach out to a stranger. I found a texting. There's a few different texting apps you can use. There's the Safe Utah, things like that for those in, in Utah. But if you text 741-741, someone will answer you 24 hours a day. Someone on the other end of the line that you can text with when you feel like you just can't quite talk. I've used it a few times. It's been a few years since I have, but it is out there. I just want to throw a plug out there that, you know, when, when you do have a hard time reaching out to your loved ones because you do feel like a burden. You don't want to worry them. You don't want to scare them. You know, a lot of times, I don't know, a few of my suicide attempts have been from feeling like I was a burden. Others have been from feeling like I just didn't want to feel the pain anymore. I'm very open about these things now. Um, you know, I've gone through and done some therapeutic steps where I've gone back and, and tried to heal some of the trauma that would lead me to the pain I was feeling, um, finding ways to not check out so much, you know, um, fixing any issues I may have had with, with substance abuse and things like that have definitely helped. But then it's, it's finding those, those coping mechanisms and, and reaching out. That's probably the biggest thing is your, your phone will feel like 10,000 pounds when you know that you need to reach out when you know that you need help. Just saying those words, you feel that frog in your throat and it's hard to say, hey, having a hard time today. And making sure that people are listening. That's another thing is it's hard enough to say it that one time. And if someone's not, you know, tuned into, oh wait, this is a cry for help. It's harder to say it again. And as many times as it takes. And if you uh, have a loved one who has these mental health issues and whatnot, and they call you up, because they're drunk telling you how much you love, the, how much they love you, you get a little concerned until they finally reveal that they're just drunk dialing you. And you go, oh, thank God. I thought yes. you were going to die. I get a call from John one day, and he goes, Mom, I just want you to know that I really love you. And I really appreciate everything that you've ever done for me. And he's in tears. And I'm panicking. I'm like, John, are you okay? Are you safe? Because it sounded like he was saying his goodbyes. Right. Anyway, so back to the experience with getting a call from... Oh, so we show up and I picked up John and it was just John and I in the car. And I said, what's going on? And, uh, and he says, I just, I, I've just been struggling. I've been feeling like I'm under a lot of pressure. I feel like I've been under a lot of pressure, you know. So he and I talked about it for a few minutes and I kept asking him, do we need to go to the hospital? And he wouldn't say. And he wouldn't say. No, I think I'm fine. I don't know, Mom. Maybe. No, I, I think I'm fine. I think I'm fine. And I understand where he was coming from by saying, I think I'm fine, because he didn't want to be that burden. Mm -hmm. And I finally said, let's just go. Let's just go and talk to him. And finally making the decision to check John in. You know, I've, I've dropped off a few people to inpatient, inpatient psychiatry. I've been in there myself right. quite a few times. I have never cried as hard as I did dropping off John because there were so many things involved with that. One, not recognizing for so long 
I felt horrible, terrible guilt that John had been fading into the background for so long, that I hadn't paid attention to those warning signs that, looking back, I knew were there. I could see them. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. I hate saying that now because oh, twenty twenty. But oh, that joke. But you know, hindsight is always perfected. You can always look back and see, you know, where where you could have gone wrong. Right. But also because I always saw John as so strong and so steadfast and didn't realize how much he had been bottling up and how much pressure he had been feeling. I'm going to interject real quick. Go ahead. Um, Another thing that helped continue to push me into the background and not talk about it is I have had a few instances where I've tried to discuss it, but then there was someone else who instead took the spotlight for similar issues because they were more vocal about it and more showy about it that unfortunately I went into the background because the focus needed to be shifted. And so I don't wish to invalidate. I don't wish to invalidate them, their feelings, their experiences, but the timing always seemed to be right when I needed it. Right. Right. Well, and it's going back to that, you know, oh, well, someone else is more important than me. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Which is easy to get into that mindset as well with with the depression and things like that. I'm going to back up a little bit just to kind of speak to my own mental health issues and things like that. You know, we talk about John being steadfast and being there. And I can remember at one time when I was having a bit of a breakdown and I said to Michael, I don't want you to feel like you have to take care of me. And Michael said, Mom, I feel like I've had to take care of you since I was about eight years old. And that was was a huge blow to me because I didn't realize how much I had not been able to hide my own mental issues. And then when Michael grew up and moved out, it was right about the time that we were moving from our hometown of Lehigh. Mm -hmm. And John was the only one of the kids who stayed with me from the time that we moved from Lehigh until he grew up and moved out on his own. And so John kind of stepped into that role, you know, so I, I'm willing to admit that a lot of my mental health issues, you know, took, took the front burner a lot of times. And it's not something I'm proud of. It's not something I did to be selfish. It's being caught up in your own head and in your own demons. Right. You know, once again, yeah, I do feel a lot of guilt for it, but I also look at you guys and see how strong you are. I'm not proud of the way you became so strong and became so smart but I do feel pretty damn lucky that you guys didn't have more issues from stemming from my own issues and and parenting style I guess you'd say Um, and that is definitely something you know we probably can attribute to having a great father you guys do have a great father Mm -hmm. making up for my fallacies Well, I mean, you 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 had a lot stuff. of you had a lot of really good attributes as well. You were always teaching us to look for the fun things in life. Yeah. Right. Where dad was always very focused on on making sure we were taken care of and making sure that you know we we always had a a home to come to essentially. Hardworking. Yeah. Like that. Very hardworking man. You and were ta- always and teaching you to us hardworking. That's, that's where I was going with that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, dad. Dad was good at teaching us those hardworking qualities. You were always good at teaching us that. Sometimes you do need to just take a moment, skip class, and go get a coffee. Um, right. And by skip class, I mean my mom would check me out because she wanted coffee. 
mental health. <laughs> mental health days. That's what we called that's them. Right. Or mental that's health right. moments. Um, mom was always very adventurous. You always wanted to like go hiking and stuff. Yes. Um, I have a really fun story about when we hiked the, the Y over Provo. Yes. The Y on the mountain. Uh, I've got a fun story about that one. I tell that one pretty often, actually. Uh-huh. Um, Me too. <laughs> that was fun. So uh, I'll tell that story another time. But you, you did have a lot of good parenting qualities that dad didn't have. So I don't, well, I don't know. We're talking like... about me checking you out of school, letting John drop out, letting you <laughs> underachieve. I mean, <laughs> I just I just meant that you you were always trying to teach us that we didn't need to burn ourselves out to be happy. Yeah. And not that dad was teaching that, but you you definitely had that. Let's look for the fun things in life outlook. And I think and, a lot and, of that goes back that. to the mental health issues too. The the darkness, the, the big sad. Right. Is, you know, making sure that you're looking for those things that are happier. You know, yeah. dad dad is much more balanced in his, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in his thinking. And he does find ways to, you know, make things fun and, and enjoy stuff. Yeah, that's um, true. That's true. I did not mean to, to leave that out no, of necessarily. Course not. But, but I yeah, I was definitely more of the, the carefree where he was much more structured. And I think that's important to have both aspects. I mean, it was definitely a a yin-yang situation. Mm -hmm. I definitely feel a little more balanced because of it. And I have to to say, that is one thing I'm proud of, is that, you know, even though though our marriage did not last, I feel like we parented you guys pretty well. (laughs) We survived that. Most of us. Hey, Um. hey, hey. So anyways, uh, <laughs> anyway, I thought John was going to say something there. So. I, I thought he was too. He was making faces, but, uh, yeah. What were we talking about before? I don't remember. Having, don't having know. to take care of me, step up, you know, being steadfast and you falling into the, yeah, that kind of segues into a little bit of what I want to talk about, okay. which was my most recent, uh, mental health epiphany. Something that I'm struggling with that I never saw as a problem and I'm still struggling to see as a problem but it's caused a couple of fights in my marriage. So just going to open that up a little bit. Uh, Shelby and I don't fight ever, which is a good thing because we rarely disagree, but also a bad thing because when we do disagree, I cave so fast. Um, and You're it's, welcome. I'm, You'll I'm, get that from me too as, as well. <laughs> well, I do get this from you and we'll, we'll, I'll get into my reasoning why in a minute here. Okay. Like I said, I, I cave so fast because I feel like it's not worth me pushing what I want when it comes to a decision, right? I guess the way I I kind of put it in my own head is it's much better for me to be unhappy with a decision than it is for my spouse to be unhappy with a decision, right? Okay. And so I'm essentially a a pleaser, right? Mm -hmm. I value my wife's comfort and happiness over what I want. Just don't let it build up resentments. Right. This really kind of came to a head four or five months ago. My wife wants a cat, very much wants a cat. Okay. And we've kind of always had this agreement that we would get a cat when we had our own house, right? Preferably a house that we've we've bought, you know, owned our own home, but we're kind of okay with if we're renting and we don't have too many pets for the rent, that sort of thing, right? Right. Well, she started looking looking at cats online, and it, it always starts with she just wants to look and see what she likes. Right. Right. <laughs> and this turned into she fell in love with this cat. Um, okay. She really wanted this cat, and we kind of fought about it a little bit, not too much again, because I cave, right? It got to the point where she was ready to go pick up this cat 
And it kind of, it took her mom stepping in to say no. Okay. Right. We can't have any more animals here. Right. We can't put any more animals on the lease. We don't have anywhere to put, you know, the litter box or anything for a cat. All of that sort of stuff that, that I had folded on. Right. Ever since then, I've kind of been looking at, you know, different decisions and stuff that I cave so, so easily because I was always raised that a happy wife is a happy life, right? <laughs> uh, my mother, you did a wonderful job at teaching me to pay attention to my spouse's emotions and make sure that essentially I'm not, I'm not being an asshole all the time, right? Right. And then I took that five steps further and I never speak up for myself anymore. I don't have a spine at all. And that's something I've been working on and I've gotten a lot better about it uh, when it comes to things outside of my marriage. I'll, I'll stick up to somebody if, if they say something I disagree with, but just between me and Shelby, it's really, really difficult for me to step back and say, no, I'm right here. My idea is the better idea because I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm belittling her. Of course. I don't want her to feel like I'm the one controlling things. That's been really difficult kind of coming to terms with the idea that this this part of myself that I've always viewed as a good thing in a spouse is actually really detrimental because it looks like I don't have an opinion on anything. Right. If she does want my opinion, the first thing that I say is whatever whatever you want, whatever makes you happiest. When she doesn't want to make the decisions herself. She wants right. my input. She values my input. She wants a partner. Exactly. Not somebody... I mean, yes, every woman wants to be treated like a queen. Right. But that means we want a king to rule by our side. Right. It's... Someone to be a partner, walk side by side with. Mm-hmm. Not be put on a pedestal and worshipped <laughs> all the time. See, and that's what I struggle with. Which I completely so, understand. It's, uh... I've always been a pleaser as well, and it took me a while to learn to find my own voice as well, mm -hmm. because I was I was also raised that you know, you keep your ha your husband happy no matter what it takes. You keep your husband happy, and unfortunately, that was very detrimental to my first marriage, which is you know, can be one of the contributing factors. Of course, there's many, but right. that can be one of the contributing factors is the fact that I didn't speak up much then I would act out in ways that were unhealthy in our marriage and vice mm -hmm. versa, you know, that he held resentments as well because he was trying to keep me happy and because we were afraid to speak up and say, no, I really don't think that's a smart decision. I really think we need to stick with this. And we'd mm -hmm. be so stubborn and headstrong in what we thought was the better way that eventually one of us would cave rather than finding a compromise. Right, right. So yeah, that's, that's something that I'm, I'm struggling with even now is that I don't feel comfortable expressing my opinion, not because my wife makes me uncomfortable, but because I have convinced myself that my opinion is not worth sharing. Exactly, and that, yeah, can go back to feeling worthless and not. Right. And so it's, it's finding ways to also diplomatically share your opinion not going to your wife and saying, my idea is better, so <laughs> it doesn't matter what you think. <laughs> right, right. But diplomatically saying, this is how I feel. I don't think, you know, we'll just go back to the cat example, you mm -hmm. know. 
we both have agreed that this is not the right time. I know you want this so badly, and we will get there. But right now is not the right time. Right. And making sure you, you know, you support and validate that, you know, yes, the way she's feeling is valid, mm-hmm. but it's not the right time for it. And so, it, yeah, it's, it's compromise, compromise and working out, yep. you know. And there are some things that you can't necessarily compromise on necessarily, but... Um, I said necessarily to necessarily Lee. Nece- necessarily? Necessarily Lee. Necessary. <laughs> now you know where John gets his blah, 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 blah <laughs> at times. <laughs> gosh, you know, as I've listened to your podcast in the past, I've thought of all these things where I'm like, gosh, they make me sound like I'm terrible. And here I am, you know, pointing out, well, okay, yeah, you're right. This was from me. <laughs> and you're right. Yeah, okay, that was from me. Like even when Michael was praising you and being like, she gave us, you know, a you know, you gotta take some fun and whatnot. You know, like, and then you're like, you're like, yeah, I'm a great mother. I take my kids out of school. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it was like, never, like, it was never that often. Okay, it was, it, it was maybe twice a week. I, I mean, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Michael Trent I'm Clark. just kidding. I'm just kidding. I do remember one instance of she didn't. Uh, she, I can't speak. Hi. John's John Stutter is kicking in. <laughs> You'd better send an email apologizing to our editor, man. Getting into some of the more deep-rooted issues that I have and whatnot brings back my stutter. And you can't see it, but my eyes are closed because for it helps with the sensory overload so that I'm able to speak. I do, do remember one instance. To. What was that? You do what you need to. I get it. Yeah. I do remember one instance of where I woke up. It was the worst nightmare I ever had. I still remember vividly. I was like, hey, mom, can I stay home? And she went, no. And then my best friend texted her and was all like, John's been in the, in the shower for like an hour, and I, I don't know if he's okay. <laughs> and you went, okay, you can stay home. <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't realize. So, like, <clears throat> you've been really good about it. Like, it's not see, like that's... you're constantly taking us out of school or, like, you still wanted to see us succeed and whatnot. But you were there for when the times that we did need a break or a moment because we get overwhelmed and whatnot. And we wrap well, there's a fine stuff. line and a fine balance. And even today, you know, you've got to find it where you've got to stay productive. It does help your mental health to be productive. But overload and overwhelm is definitely something to watch out for as well. You know, there is a time when you need to take a mental break from things, recharge, recoup. But don't, you know, let it turn into a bad habit of avoiding life right. and avoiding yes. to do yep. things. So it, it yes. is a fine, fine line and a, a, a balance, you know, that you've got to work through. That's something that I really like about my job now. It can be a little repetitive doing what we do. For we sure. make sure we try to have fun with it. And, like, even when stuff does not look the best or stuff is not going well, we try not to let it get to us so that we don't get overwhelmed and let it get to us. We try to relax, try to have a little bit of fun with it, just try to get through it because we know that overwhelming yourself is not a good thing. And that's what I really like about my coworkers is we all try to have fun. We all, you know, don't let it get to us. You know, if something looks bad, we try to put a positive spin on it to make sure that we don't overwhelm ourselves with what is there. And that's something that you definitely helped me with and continues to help me is I make sure that I don't overwhelm myself I take those times and those moments to get that breather I need, and then I'm right back into it, and I'm better off than when I, when I was stressing about it just before. Right. It is important. 
and finding that, you know, balance. Yeah, I think burnout is something that people are becoming more aware about or more talkative about. Just kind of from what I notice online, you know, people are, are more willing now than they were before to admit that they need a break. Yeah. And I, I think burnout is really interesting because it's one of those things that you can always see coming, but you always convince yourself that it's not, right? Right. And then it finally hits and you suddenly can't do anything anymore because you're so tired physically or mentally or emotionally. You tell yourself you don't have time to take a break. Right. Until eventually you have no choice but to take a break. Right. Because you have shut down. Yep. And that does happen. That does happen a lot. Or you have a, a breakdown or something, you know, along those lines. It's knowing those warning signs and those triggers. Unfortunately, if I ignore those warning signs and those triggers, it will take me to a life-threatening situation to mm-hmm. where I, I will take my own life or attempt to or think, that, or think that that's, you know, the only way. I mean, obviously, I haven't actually succeeded because I am here. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and I am thankful for that. It's finding those, those ways to reach out. It's understanding what's leading you up to that point. I am glad that I have found ways to go back and deal with some of those traumas that I've had in my life and find my own worth within myself. I can't go back and change how I was as you guys were growing up. I can't go back and change some of the negative experiences that you had watching a parent who was struggling with mental health issues. I just hope that you can be glad that I'm still here. (laughs) I am. I am very glad. Something else I'd like to touch on about being very glad about is the progress you've made with your substance abuse issues. Thank you. Because that is something that heavily affected me. Like you said, once I moved up there with you, I was the person who started taking care of you. Yes. And it wasn't until a more recent time that the substance abuse got to an extreme. Yes. It's Let just, me just say, mixing uh, other substances, including legal substances like alcohol, with antipsychotic medications and <laughs> antidepressants and things like that, when they tell you you should not, they really mean you should not. I will admit that many of my suicide attempts or times when I was most harmful to myself or others was under the influence of alcohol. On top of Like I said, being on antipsychotic meds and being on antidepressants, it definitely elevates some of those things. And the reason I would drink is because I felt like it wasn't doing enough. And I was trying to hide the pain and hide some of the traumas throughout my life um, and hide the, the guilt that I felt for how I had been as my kids had grown up. So coming out of some of those, I would think, okay, well, maybe, maybe I do have a problem. Mm but I can stop anytime I want to. I just won't drink that much next time. So on the topic of alcohol, I, w- I want to touch on something that I'm a big believer in. Um, okay. as, as an alcohol consumer okay. and as attempting to you know, remain a, a responsible alcohol consumer, uh-huh. I have a dry month every year. I chose February because it's the shortest month, but <laughs> it's, it's still a whole month, right? <clears throat> no, anyway. Well, it's, it's one of those things where I, I force myself no alcohol. The only exception is for one religious ceremony. And even then, it's not even a full cup of, of mead, right? Um, that's the only exception I allow myself. So I, I take a full month every year, no alcohol. Because I figure if I'm not addicted to alcohol, it's going to be easy. 
And if I am addicted to alcohol, I need it. Right. Okay. And I, I like putting that idea out there because I think it's I think it's a big part of being a responsible alcohol consumer. And yes. so I would encourage others who regularly consume mm-hmm. to uh, maybe think on that idea. Uh, take, you know, a month off every year. And then I also have another rule where if I have been drinking super, super heavy for like a weekend, I will not drink for at least a week. Usually it's about two weeks after that. I will force myself to not drink because I know that alcoholism a lot of times can be tied to genetics. You know, sub- substance dependency can be tied to genetics and stuff. And, yes. and of course, seeing you struggle with it and all of that, that's, that's not something that I ever want to do to myself or to my family. And so I have self-imposed these rules that I follow very strictly except for last year because I forgot it was the first day of February, so I did March instead of February, but I, I still did a whole month, and it was a longer month. <laughs> well, let me, let me add something in there for you then, too, because yeah. for me, it's about taking that first drink. I can do okay not taking that first drink, mm-hmm. but it's once I take that first drink, not being able to stop. Okay. So if you can have a drink or two and feel like you're just fine, great, fabulous. But if you find that you take that first drink or you have two drinks and then you feel like you just can't stop until you're either blacking out or the alcohol is gone that's something to be watching that's, that's for in your for. genetics that's good to know that's yeah, good to know that's something else I, to watch for in your genetics i feel like there are there have definitely been times where i've gotten that way where once i've had one or two drinks in me it's about how much can i drink right but i, I do feel like that's not a problem for me most of the time Last night, for example, I had three drinks, and then I was like, yeah, it was, uh, it's fine. It's good. Yeah. I went to bed sober, you know? <laughs> so That's good. That, that makes me feel a little better. Like, that's, that's, that's another good thing to that's watch That's not for. something I could do. At, right. At first, when I, you know, first would experiment with drinking, maybe, you know, I could stop after a drink or two, but most of the time, no. It was once I started to get that feeling of being buzzed, I wanted to, to just continue on. And when I felt it start to wear off, oh no, we can't have that. Can't have that. Gotta stay drinking. So I witnessed that, and that's what I noticed the most about you, is that once you started, it was hard for you to stop. Which yes. is why I had my own, I have my own set of self-imposed rules that when I start drinking, I will have only about one or two and then call it good and make sure I don't continue. Mm-hmm. And in the future, I've had someone who praised me for the fact that I was able to only have one or two and then just call it good. Well, we all know you had your wild time in high school. And so it's it's understandable that you may already know some of these rules. Yes, my wild time is when I had that one or two drink rule. (laughs) No, I completely lost it. There was something I was going to say just before John started talking and I totally lost it. So I'm going to go back and touch on the time that I first started realizing I needed to be more open about my mental health mm-hmm. or not. And that was when I did end up at the inpatient. And when I first started opening up about my mental health or whatnot, this is when I feel like one of the most upsetting moments for mom when I told her this. But I remember when I came out and told her how many times I had actually attempted to take my life at my age and I feel like that was something that really affected her along the lines of not noticing before and then me admitting 
admitting that to her. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was really hard. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it took a lot for me to admit that to you because I was scared. I didn't want to hurt you, but I needed to be honest. No, and I'm glad you were. I'm, I'm glad you were because I've realized that a lot of times through my own mental struggles, I get caught up in my own head. And we think a lot of times that we're alone. We're the only ones who are thinking and feeling like this. All the time. Uh-huh. All the time. We think we are alone. And so we don't pay attention to what's going on around us. You know, looking back, it took me many years to realize that my own mother had battled depression as I was growing up as well. And because I think I'm alone and I think, you know, I'm hiding it so well, no one can see (laughs) how I'm falling apart besides the few times that I did fall apart. And looking back, most of the times that I personally had attempted suicide, there were extenuating circumstances, not to excuse or justify or anything along those lines. Right. My first real true honest attempt was after having a mental breakdown from losing a pregnancy. Three young boys at home, very young. John was less than a year old at the time. And I had my third miscarriage almost in a row. Um, Very traumatic. Um, It was, you know, a child that we had wanted for and hoped for and tried for. And I mentally broke because the thought of losing a child, feeling like it was my fault, broke me. I thought, you know, that it was brought up, what if all these babies I lost were girls? What if we'll never have a daughter? That broke me. Then people tearing me down because I was struggling with it. And they were like, you already have three beautiful boys at home. And you're not even taking care of them because our house was always a mess. And I was struggling with, you know, my depression and struggling with this traumatic event that, you know, yeah, maybe your diapers weren't always changed on time. And the house was a disaster. And I was barely able to make dinner that day. You know, and feeling torn down for those things, I mentally broke. And so the thought, it was my fault I'd lost another child. It's my fault I can't even take care of the three I have. I was just in this constant barrage in Mm -hmm. my head of what is wrong with me? No one else has ever felt this way. No one else struggles with keeping pregnancies. No one else struggles with being able to take care of their children. No one else struggles with keeping their house clean. It's you know, these demons that are in your head that are feeding you these false truths. It's not true. There are other people who were having a hard time. Well, and that was another thing I felt guilty for. When I found out I was pregnant with Jessica, I, I beat myself up a little bit because here I was with yet another pregnancy, about to have another child, and there were close family members who were trying so hard to have children themselves and couldn't. And I felt like they deserved it so much more than me at... 22 years old, pregnant for the seventh time, already have three beautiful boys. I'd really struggled with that too. So I I struggled with depression through my pregnancy with her as well. I was afraid I would lose another child. I was afraid I was going to have another child. (laughs) It was just a a fear, you know, all around. Um, My depression was definitely eating at me through that. Thankfully, we had a beautiful little girl and all, all these things that, you know, I thought I that were wrong with me weren't and even if they were it's okay that was that was the path of life for us and uh and it was it was good it was good 
Good. But I've I've definitely learned a lot through that. You know, there was there were other times, but that was that was probably one of my biggest mental breaks was was that time just before I had gotten pregnant with Jessica, just just after I'd lost yet another baby. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing. You're welcome. I could go on and on about every one of them. <laughs> thank you. But thank you. We are coming up on our time here. We are. So I do kind of want to end on uh, something of a positive note. Okay. Uh, for, for our listeners. What's this positive note you wanted to end on, Michael? I don't know. I, I had an idea in mind and uh, it's it's left me. What's some of the positive that has come out of mental health issues? Some of the positive that's come whether, out of mental health Whether it issues. be your own or watching others. I got superpowers. Hyperfocus. I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm going to tread carefully here because I don't want to romanticize my depression. Oh, heavens no. Um, but I do feel like it has given me this perspective that I'm not afraid to feel things. Yes. Because when I'm depressed, I don't feel anything. When, when I'm not experiencing that just about any emotion is welcome. Even if they're uncomfortable, it feels nice to feel something. Yes. So I, I feel like I, I have this perspective of I'm not afraid to feel my emotions and I'm not afraid to, to show my emotions because that's how I know I'm, I'm alive. I'm experiencing life and that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's probably the most positive thing that's come out of my own mental health issues is that when I'm not struggling, I can appreciate things so much more. Yes. Yeah. Continuing on the, I have superpowers. So there's my hyperfocus, which is something that as long as I'm in control of it and am able to regulate it, it's not the easiest thing to do because sometimes it just happens. It makes it really easy to do certain stuff. Like when I'm, for instance, editing the podcast. I will hyper-focus. I will put in some music or whatnot. Hyper-focus on the podcast and just bust out the entire thing in two days. I, it, I just, I just want to cut in here. I don't freaking understand how you do it, man. And I guess it is I guess it is your superpowers. Because I, I sit there and I will edit like 10 minutes at a time. And then the night before I'm supposed to publish, I'm sitting there and I have to edit a whole hour's worth. Because yeah, I, because so, I just like, I can get through a little bit at a time. I can get through a little bit at a time, and it's like, oh crap, I gotta have this now. And right. then John over here sends me the link like a few days early. He's like, hey, give it a listen. Like, let me know if it's good enough to post. And I'm just like, how did you, how did you accomplish okay. this, dude? So a great example of that is the last episode with AJ as a guest star. Michael sent me the episode. I think. Oh yeah, like I, I sent it Monday, to you late. I Monday you or late. Sunday night, Mo- Monday like Monday morning or Sunday night, the week before it's supposed to be finished and published. Okay. In two days. Yeah, he sent it back to me Wednesday night. In wow. two days, I edited the entire thing because I get in the zone. I hyper focus and I just bust it out. And so that's one great thing is my hyper focus. Another great thing is like Michael was saying. I'm not afraid to feel my emotions because of the times that I don't feel anything. It also helps me to pick up and see other people's emotions. I can see the emotion easier than a lot of people. And something that goes hand in hand with my anxiety is it helps. It has helped with planning because I think of everything all at once. And that's just like not the best thing at all times. Right. But it can help 
you know, working with the times that I have anxiety and I'm freaking out and there's nothing to freak out over, when there's something to freak out over, I can handle it. Yeah. Because I freaked out over nothing plenty of times. Right. Like, not to romanticize any of it because it is it is a burden with all of this stuff. But sometimes it gives you things. And I'm able to pick up on little body movements because, you know, it, 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 it makes me anxious, you know. Like... I always want to be that people pleaser. I want to make sure everything goes right, but it means that I'm more in tune with others' emotions and how they're feeling, and I can tell when something isn't quite right. For the younger mm-hmm. generation, vibe check. Right. Vibe, vibe check. check. Yeah, okay. Well, I can give you a vibe check. And this is why I wanted to ask you guys about the, the positive side of it. Not to, you know, put a positive spin or anything on it, but to, to say that it's not to romanticize it by any means. But just because we have this challenge does not mean that we are bad people, does not mean that we are inherently bad, does not mean that there's a bad part of us even, just that it is a challenge. It is something for us to face, and there can be good things out of it. As I was saying before, with every genius comes a little madness. It's a trade-off. But in order to get this genius, you've got to have a little bit of that <laughs> madness to think outside the box. Right. Exactly. It does give us more compassion for others. It does help us to understand our world a little bit better. It's taking those things and rather than trying to hide away our mental illness and hide away this part of us because we admit it is part of us. It is embracing it and finding ways to use it to our advantage in a positive way to help others, to help us get through things, to help us hyper-focus as John does, to, you know, utilize it. Mm -hmm. It's something that I have come to view as a utility, a tool in my life. Used incorrectly, that tool can destroy what you're working on. But finding ways to utilize it in positive ways can help to build your life and build things around you. So that was well, my positive spin you. on it. Thank yeah. you. Like I like to say, whatever being, whatever power gave me all of this, gave me all of these challenges and whatnot, gave it to me because they knew if they hadn't, by the age of 13, I would have beaten them in a fist fight. I would have <laughs> just gone up there and been like, I'm taking this. This is mine. <laughs> anyway. All right. <clears throat> Hello, listener. This is Michael doing an ad for you. This episode was a little bit uh, deeper and and darker than any episode we've done so far. But if you did enjoy it and you feel like it was productive, definitely feel free to go ahead and share it. I personally believe that the discussion around mental health is important. I think that the more awareness there is around it, the more people can come to help accept what they might not understand about it, or maybe even accept what they don't understand about themselves. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, share it with your family. Don't share it with your therapist because then we'll be in trouble. But uh, we need therapy. <laughs> therapy is expensive. That's my It problem. is expensive. Anyways, that's another discussion. Thank you again for listening. Oh, <clears throat> end of ad. Uh, thank you again for listening. <laughs> We really appreciate our mother coming on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, thank you both for, for opening up, sharing your experiences. I actually am really excited to publish this, which I 
I didn't think I would be because it's it's a different tone than any of our other episodes, but I, I think it was a productive and eye-opening conversation in, in a few ways. And so I'm, I'm very excited to actually share this one. So Get thank you. Get some awareness out there. And, and like you said, the more you talk about it, the less stigmatized it becomes. Right, right. Because again, you are not alone in how you feel. All of us struggle with something. While the specific circumstances of your struggle might be unique, what you are feeling probably isn't. So don't be afraid to reach out. Don't be afraid to talk about it. If you need a safe space, email us. Brothers on a tangent at gmail.com. Always feel free to reach out to us. We're here to help and listen. And if you have any other stories or things that you want to add to the podcast, not not in per se to the top, topic of this episode, but <laughs> don't be afraid to email, email us. Like I said, there's many ways to contact us, but it is probably the easiest way for us to see and both 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 of us see and get it because we're both forgetful people and we <laughs> having both of us have it at least one of us might remember it might yes. remember to do something yes. about it thank you again for listening i hope you have a wonderful rest of your day you bye bye bye